Hi, welcome to the CCW Safe podcast. I'm Rob High, joined by my uh, partner, Philip Naiman. And once again, we've got Katie Lawson on gracing us with her presence. And we'll continue on and finish up her story. So thanks for, for coming back, Katie. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Katie, on our last one, we were talking about what physically happened to you. You're at a traffic stop. For those of you who who uh, haven't seen that one yet. You're at a traffic stop. You're assisting another agency. Um, an unbelievable story about how these people were talking to you and they ended up being the bad people. Well, they, they already were bad people, but they ended up proving it later that evening by shooting 26 rounds with a high-powered rifle at you at close range, um, unprovoked. Yes, sir. You know, which is the definition of ambush. And so what one of the things that Rob and I really want to talk about is your mindset, you've lived through one heck of an ordeal, you know, high powered rifle, 26 rounds, impacted six times, um, dark, alone, you know, just about, if you could paint a, a really bleak scenario, I, I think you checked all the boxes, you got all the, what bad things could possibly happen to Katie tonight? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, we got them all. Okay, good. So, yeah. but God was with you and, and you, you, you sure. lived through that, but Tell us about just in your mind, like you said in the last show that the sounds cut out, but mm -hmm. walk us through just from the point of, hey, there's a guy, I wonder what he's doing, just what happened in your head, your thought process. Okay. So initially, I think I kind of detailed it when I stopped, the shooting starts taking place. The initial first response is the shock factor. The free, you feel like you freeze for a second thinking, this, is this really happening? And then immediately after that is when I kick into the fight mode. So I've been asked in the past, you know, why didn't you just drive out of the line of fire? Because you got, you know, flight, fight, fight or freeze. So in my thinking of that, the, and I will address that just so nobody has to wonder, just because it is a question I've been asked. So I did not drive out of the line of fire because one, it was not my go-to first response. My first response was fight back, get your gun out, shoot back. Second, I had already had the car in park. So finding that magic button at the time, which was on the floorboard to, you know, initiate my gear shift and drive out of the line of fire, that was just going to take too much time. So that's why I went with the fight response. Mm -hmm. And after that, initial freeze like is this really happening I remember thinking this guy's trying to kill me there was no doubt in my mind the guns pointed right at my face he is trying to kill me I've got to do something to save my life and if I don't shoot back that's what's going to happen he's going to kill me so that's when I went into the reaction mode get your gun out start firing back um, as I'm doing that, I remember, you know, they say that so many things go through your head in an instant. So I remember being able, as I'm getting my gun out, being able to think several things through my mind. I remember thinking, okay, get your head out of the window. Um, he's going to take it off with the round. I also remember seeing, I didn't actually see the bullet, but I remember the bullet impacting the front windshield and glass flying towards me. I can remember feeling all the bullets coming, whizzing by me. Um, it was just like very chaotic inside the car. I can remember things just whizzing by me and the car just feeling very chaotic. So I, I, although, I think that 26 impacts <laughs> would be chaotic. I think, yeah. It was I, very chaotic. <laughs> I think that's a, so, a minor understatement, but we'll, we'll go yeah. with that. 
so I remember just being able to feel feel all these things and think all these things, even though it happened within a matter of seconds. And I don't, I can't give you an exact number of seconds, but I would say less than 30 seconds by the time he started shooting and ran away. But um, as you had already mentioned, I got the tunnel vision, the auditory exclusion. I didn't hear one of my rounds go off. And the, the time, time distortion, it did happen to me. Cause again, I was able to think all these different things as it's happening, happening rapidly. Did I cover your, your question? Yeah. I know yeah. that's kind no, of that, long. That is the other thing is, is the exclusion. So in situations, you know, we've maybe all of us have had a scrap or two, but I, I remember being solely focused on that person that did this, that that was the number one thing was I was going there. And I think that's what, yes. with you too, is like, I'm getting that guy. There, yes. I'm going to try to shoot, shoot him. There I'm going to shoot nothing, back definitely and try to get him. Yeah. There is, there is nothing, you know, and I'm going to have to be physically stopped to stop that. And unfortunately you were shot in the legs and, and you weren't able to, to do that. But I mean, it was just like the intent switches from, I can't believe this is happening to all of a sudden I'm putting an end to this right now. Yes. And, and that's where you were focused on him and tried to go after him down the, down the fence line. Wish you would have got him. Oh, um, me too. <laughs> that, that's another segment of having to get past that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how old was this person? 18. 18. And mm -hmm. the family was illegally in the country. So mom and dad um, were both immigrants. The dad was illegal. The mother had a visa to be here. And it was not a work visa, so I'm not really sure what the visa was, but she had a visa to be here. And then the two boys were born here. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so you've got an 18 year old who's growing up in, a, I just can't imagine. Anyway, it's, it's a whole different mindset that somebody would just say, hey, I got an idea. Let's go kill two police officers so our dad doesn't go to jail for drunk driving. Yes. Let's do the risk cost analysis here. Not exactly. And I have a little back history of the 18 year old if you want it um, sure sure as far as so he was part of a gang here Southside locos he was not an active member of the game so he wasn't really playing the whole gang um attitude or not attitude but he was not a active member who was running around with the gang he was just an associate of the Southside locos so was the night there, of the uh, <laughs> exactly so the night of the shooting, his dad was actually going to go to the strip club. His dad asked him to drive him to the strip club and then driving home. I'm sure he was going to plan on drinking. So he wanted the son to drive him to the strip club. The son actually, and this was told to the FBI during the study, um, this, the son actually did not like his father. Um, he described it as hating his father. And he thought it was disrespectful that his father was going to the strip club so thought it was disrespectful to the mother. So he says, he told him he would not take him. So at the point he's coming home, he's coming home drunk, driving drunk. So the son kind of internally takes that on as it's his fault because he told his dad, no, he wouldn't take him. And so at the point they were in the front yard, he knows that he's going to go to jail and be deported probably. And so he basically says that blood's thicker than water. And he knows if his dad gets deported, he's not going to have the money to support the family anymore. So that's at that point he decides it's 
he's going to try to take our lives to get his dad out so his dad can work and provide money for the family. Very That's, senseless. <laughs> he, he came up with that, uh, that great wisdom all, all on his own. All, yeah. all on his own, yep. Don't really think he had a plan after the point of killing the deputy and I, but uh, that was part of the plan. Well, the plan is to stay in the state. So if you're in jail for attempted murder, you're in the states longer. You're not deported. So that's uh, it's much yes. much better plan all the way around. It's uh, um, ambush, the most deadliest thing. We've seen a, a uptick on this. What in the last three weeks, uh, Rob? Yes. These this officers year, being ambushed. This year has been horrible. <clears throat> you know, we were, we did the the deal. Uh, where Gary and I went down to Florida and, and did the retired sergeants association with, with NYPD. And, you know, they just had two officers killed. They, they, they were able to a keep young guy, up. I think a 21 year old, right? Yeah. It was just, wow. just, just horrible. And, you know, it's, it's one of those that law enforcement feels that everywhere, you know, it's not just, and it's, it, it's just part of that part of that fraternity, um, you get, uh, <clears throat> you get the good and the bad, you know, um, you get a Rodney King incident and it, that was a, a California thing. And, and I'm telling you, police officers felt that all across the country. Um, the blowback from that came back on them all across the country. Um, you, you get a, a police officer that's dirty, that steps out of line and it, it stains everybody. Um, and, and Katie and I were lucky enough to, to work at an agency that, that really does do a remarkable job at policing themselves. Um, I, I just, I've, I've always felt very strongly that if, if you can't keep your own house in order, you should never be allowed to go do that to the general citizenship. You shouldn't be able to do that to the population. Um, so it, I had, a, I had a tremendous sense of pride to get to serve where I served. Um, it, it was just one of those that, you know, I was in the police academy when, when the Oklahoma City bombing happened, the Murrah bombing occurred. Um, and my class was activated for a portion of that to, to provide scene security um, and to see the community support the outpouring of support during that incident and just absolutely solidified my commitment to what I was doing in the town I was doing it in um, and, it, and it was a, a point of pride for me because I, I grew up here in the metro I've been here my whole life um, you look a little like a city boy but <laughs> like a city boy um, but it, it's one of those, it, and Oklahoma city is not like a city if you've been here. So I heard you say Metro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's just one of those that, uh, when, when somebody gets hurt, it, it, it hurts everybody as well. So, um, it, it was a remarkably emotional response that night in in katie's case um you know i i mentioned previously that the response was so overwhelming and katie touched on it there was there was other agencies everybody that could come came 
Mm-hmm. Um, but they they jammed the the streets up so bad that that they really couldn't get her out in the ambulance. Yeah, ambulance. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know if you remember, Katie, but you you went through yards. I've been told that uh, one of our officers actually took the driver's seat of the ambulance and uh, sure drove did. me through yards. You sure did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you just make it, you make it work however you make it work. Um, yeah, because everybody got out of their cars looking for the guy, so the cars were just locked or yes. open, no keys. In yes. Everywhere, everywhere, yes. everywhere. Um, every canine in the city was coming because, you know, you can only run those dogs for so long, and they they need a break. Um, and you know, you've got a handler and a dog, and then you've got cover guys with with them, and and uh, you're you're going, you know, backyard to backyard and through creeks and, and everything else you can think of. So, so let's put an end on this, on, on one of the things, what punishment did these Cretans get? So originally they all pled not guilty and I barely got, got here. I don't know nothing. I barely, yeah, no, nothing. Gun. Didn't do anything. It's not we my were, magazine. It's not my, yeah, <laughs> we were out on the, in the front on a traffic stop. Um, so they originally all pled not guilty, um, got bound over for trial and the trial took place a little over a year after the incident. So up until, I think it was about two weeks, couple weeks before the actual trial was to begin, the older boy, the actual shooter came forward and said that he committed the crime. He acted alone. His family did not know about it. Was he in jail the whole time? Yes. So uh, the younger brother and the older brother, both in jail the entire time for about a year. And then mother had actually bonded out. So she was not in jail the whole time. So as the elder boy comes forward, sorry, go ahead. Uh, she left her kids in jail. She le- yeah, yeah. Great mom. Left her kids there. Looking out for number one. So <laughs> anyways, as, the, as he pleads guilty, the other two, they know nothing about it, didn't do anything. So they go to a jury trial it was a week-long jury trial, which uh, another credit to my department and um, the Blue family. And just to kind of touch on that, a little, digress a little bit, that being four years on, you hear about a Blue family, but you really don't know what it means until times like these. Uh, that is when I realized what a great family the my police family was and how much they backed me and supported me um, through this whole entire incident. But uh Anyways, went to a jury trial, um, officers packed the courthouse out, so that was nice to have all that support there with me. Went through a week long, and at the end of the jury trial, the jury found the mother not guilty, so they acquitted her, and then they found the little brother guilty and sentenced him to three years. So that was before the What did they try and charge mom on, this accessory after the fact? They actually charged her with shooting with intent as well. Um, just because they actually had, they had charged a conspiracy charge, but it got wrote up wrong. So the judge actually had to kick it out because it was not the correct conspiracy charge, but they continued on with the shooting with intent with her. So yeah, because she didn't physically shoot, then they couldn't put her away. Yeah. And talking to the jury, we got to talk to the jury afterwards. And they said that the citizen that they, that had the most evidence against her, the one that who actually saw her approach the car and then kind of fade back towards the house, the patrol car. They said they did not find him very credible, so they didn't feel like they could find her guilty because of that witness. They didn't find credible. But he's also the guy who said, I saw him running in the back door, and that was true, right? 
I think it was actually two different ones. We had one that looked out the back window and then the other one is the one who saw them, uh, saw her approach the vehicle. So uh, they did find him guilty, but again, only gave him three years. And so all this took place before we actually sentenced the shooter. So as you can imagine, at the end of the trial, when one gets three and one gets acquitted and nothing's happened to the other one just yet, very disheartening. Yeah. I think that- They uh, wonder why we drink, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, drowned our sorrows. But uh, anyways, when it comes time for the sentencing of the shooter, it was by Judge Deason, who is, I didn't know him at the time. He was the one that presided on the case, but began, or came to know him afterwards in my work in the impact with doing a lot of search warrants. I became friends with, with him afterwards, but he was fabulous. He sentenced the shooter to life plus 10 years. So in Oklahoma, life is 45 years. Of course, it's 85% crime. So he went in the round of at 18 and his first chance of parole will be around the age of 60. So after that happened, um, I kind of let the other go and I felt justified then. Um, and I have a statement read by Judge Deason that kind of his, him talking to the suspect and it was great. He is very pro-law enforcement. We actually lost him about three years ago um, to a stroke, but he was an awesome judge. Yeah, oh, sorry to hear that. We need some more of those. I like the judges that have like, um, you know, a gallows tattoo. I think that's just a good sign. <laughs> yeah. And where their where's their cutoff shirt in the courtroom? So everybody can see it. <laughs> that's right. They, they got a they're packing their own piece. Yeah, that's the guy. Now he did do that. <laughs> Absolutely. He didn't let it show, but he always had his gun in the courtroom. That's pretty good. So uh, you know. Well, just last night I was in, I was, I was Tuesday night, Tuesday night I was training with, uh, with this guy and we we're talking about firearms and stuff like that. And, and he was saying, well, a knife's way better. I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, there's so many, there's so many differences. Uh, you know, can you pull your gun before you pull your knife? It's like, well, and my point to him was ambush is what mm -hmm. wins. If you're six feet away from me or three feet away from me and you don't know what I'm doing and I pull a firearm and shoot you, um, you didn't get, you know, it's the ambush. It's action beats reaction okay. every time. And it's the person who takes the impetus. So here you are, you're looking like you're at the stage of, hmm, hey, there's a guy, crap, incoming rounds. You mm -hmm. know, there, there's nothing else going on with that. And it's, I think people need to realize when someone says, well, I, you know, the keyboard warriors. <laughs> keyboard commandos. So, you know, I, I have, uh, my head's always on a 360. I mean, Rob, you hear this stuff, right? I'm yeah. always looking around. I'm always wearing my surroundings. Like, no, it's an ambush, ding dong. Yeah. You know, there's a guy laying in a ghillie suit on a hill. You're you not know. seeing that person. Yeah. <laughs> they're in the shadow. They're doing this. They're hiding They're This is a nefarious act coming upon you. They come up from, from behind. I mean, mm -hmm. you don't get, you don't get to pick the time and the place. You we had um, thing about a, a cop couple of police officers killed sitting down in a diner this is maybe this is under obama's time frame um with these two psychos and then they they had a shootout in walmart the, later that day i think that was las vegas wasn't it could have been but i, I mean so. you know you've got your back turned you're talking to somebody and somebody who's nefarious has an ambush so i guess my point is that you can't you can't see everything. You're not God. You're not omnipresent, omniscient. No. You can't see everything coming. And so 
as, as you know, an officer like yourself, you can't feel bad that you were ambushed. You know, it happened. And, <clears throat> you know, throw this out there. They didn't shoot at you because you were a woman. They shot at you because you were a cop and he wanted to go kill yes. the other cop, right? Yes. He thought that was you. He didn't know. So again, he's an idiot. So he's shooting at, at the job. He's shooting at the person in that car. Um, yes. And, and there's nothing you did to provoke it. And you did everything you could to stop it. You know, I, I think the firing, like you said, your car's in park. What are you going to do? You're going to run into a telephone pole and sit there and take more shots. I mean, you, you did everything right. I think you may have had some good training. <laughs> I did have some great training. You know, it, it, there's so much of that that is, is mental, though. The, the determination, the determination the, on that, the, the will to, to freaking live, the will to win. Um, and it's, it's why I, I talk about, you know, I, I may not be able to put my body through the same physical wear and tear that I used to, um, but I can still get training repetitions mentally. I can, I can still imagine that. Um, my, my training sergeant told me this, I tried to pass this on to kids that I trained and it was, you know, it's one of those that, you know, sit there and just think about the scenario, run yourself through it, put, put yourself through it before you're ever there for real. Um, and, and honestly, if you're going to do it the right way, put yourself in the worst case scenario and how are you going to respond coming out of that? So there, there are so many different things that we don't have control of, but there are things that we do have control of. And if we've, if we've prepared our mind for that, um, you're, you're just that much closer to stepping towards a victory there. So well, it's, it's like you said, it's, we can't control being ambushed, a true ambush. Now, can you be negligent? Yeah, I mean, we're not talking about that. This was an ambush. You're driving down the street and somebody in the shadows opens fire on you. Those are ambushes. You've got your, the, and we had a couple of sheriffs in Southern California. They're sitting in the car filling out the reports. Guy walks up, and goes, hey, how you doing? Boom, right? And, and uh, they live, thank God. But um, those are those are things that happen to you. It's how you react that your training kicked in. You know, Rob, you trained her. She did exactly what she's supposed to do. She put rounds on the target, and of course, just like always, they run like cowards. Did I say that again? Did I say that <laughs> criminals were cowards? It, you know, we, we got, got we got some mail on that. We got we got some negative feedback from that. Phil, you're going to get me in trouble. Saying they're cowards. Yeah. Oh no. That's exactly what Judge Deason actually called him as well out in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah, I'm in good company. Yeah, you are. Yeah, he's a great guy. <laughs> it was such a brilliant, brilliant statement that he made at the end of that. It, it was just, it was perfect. Um, oh, it was awesome. Yep. We lost a true friend when he passed away. He was so good. Um, and like Katie said, the guys that that were doing uh, you know, drug warrants and things like that got to got to have a, an awful lot of interaction with him, you know, even at his home, you know, catching him after hours. And he'd, he'd agree to meet you anytime, day or night, just come by. And that warrant. All you wake him up, he tells you to come over. Um, yeah. You get over there, he tells you to come in the house as he's reading it and signing it. Uh, <laughs> he was awesome. Yeah, he and his wife were just absolutely just wonderful to law enforcement. 
Um, and I've and I've seen him be really harsh on law enforcement when mm -hmm. he didn't feel like they were performing well, he, the level that they should have been performing. So yeah, he, I mean, they have to have a standard. And yes. when guys are slipping, you know, like we've talked about before, the sloppy, sloppy things and uh, or or malintended uh, uh, charges and stuff like that. You know, I, I'm glad he's holding that account because we, oh, yeah. as a civilian, we need to be able to trust our legal de department. We need to know that, that if, you know, we, we just saw so much malfeasance happen with the Kyle Rittenhouse thing. It's like, what is that district attorney doing? It made no sense. You know, we want to know that the people who are in our legal system are doing the right things for the right time, you know, um, and we're seeing that that's not happening. So when someone gets called on the carpet for misbehaving or, you know, I, I think that's, they absolutely should be, they have to be held accountable or we can't trust our legal system and we want to trust our legal system. No, he was very fair. And like I told you before that they were all charged with a conspiracy charge. And he actually looked at the, the state statute and realized it was not the right conspiracy charge. So he felt like he had to dismiss it. So he did the right thing in dismissing it because it was not the right charge, yep. even though it was kind of detrimental to my case, but he did the right and fair thing. And I can appreciate that. Yeah, that's what he had to do. Mm -mm -mm. Okay, so, Katie, what would ahead. you... What would you say to a graduating class of rookies entering Oklahoma service? <laughs> Just come fresh so, out of the academy. All right. So Rob actually kind of touched on a little bit. I was going to jump in there when he's talking about the scenarios, because I do remember during the academy them telling you to run the scenarios through your head. So I did that often. I ran the scenarios. What if I show up on a domestic that come out with a gun? You know, I ran all these different scenarios. Now, did I ever trump one up that big? Probably not. Nope. So that was a new one. Uh, so, when well, I, you know, let your imagination be your guide. Exactly. <laughs> so never imagine the one I actually went through. But now that I tell them, you know, now that you've got me telling you this story, you imagine yourself locked down, pinned down in a car. What are you going to do? You play that scenario through your head. And so that's a bit of information that I pass on, um, you know, it was passed on to me and I pass it down. But also when I speak to them, because I do get to speak to the academy, one of the biggest things I tell them about is big, and y'all have touched on this already, the mental toughness, mentally prepared to face the worst um, and, and the resiliency part of it, being able to bounce back from life circumstances that seem totally overwhelming at first. And the mental toughness part is just the, if you get into a fight, no matter what it is, don't give up. As long as you are there and you're capable, keep on fighting no matter what. You've got to learn to be mentally tough and, and to never accept defeat. Um, and I, you know, I give them a couple quotes I like from Grossman's books. Um, and I can't remember the exact quotes, but it's about kind of about not being the toughest or the biggest, but I have a big heart. And as long as you've got the heart and the will to survive, you will um, until the Lord calls you up you have the mental capability to survive something like this. Yeah, you can't tap out and start over on the street. No tapping out. Nope. You keep on no fighting timing. until you can't anymore. And by that time, you won't know. Phil, they did something. Uh, and you'll, you'll have to remind me, Katie, how long it had been. Because you went to the hospital that night. They had you there for, for a good little while, actually. But... <clears throat> Uh, one night we, we all went up 
and we, we held line up at the mm -hmm. hospital. So you just got the entire, the entire <laughs> third shift shows up. Um, I don't know. I don't remember who it was that I mean, they even, they even had a lectern there so that awesome. we could have a proper lineup. And it was so yeah. cool because at the very end of the whole thing, Katie grabs a radio and she puts all of, all of third shift 10, eight available for service. It was, it was pretty cool. Like it was awesome and emotional. Um, for me, it was emotional because not only had y'all not seen me since it, but you know, you did a little bit in the hospital and the, you know, the ER emergency room, but uh, that was the first time we all got as a shift again. I got to see you all. You all got to see me and we were all good. So for me, it was emotional. I wanted to see y'all as much as you did me. Um, and it just brought us all back together. It was, it was really cool. I think the other thing that uh, we touched on in our last episode that Rob was when <clears throat> that evening from the hospital, she was able to speak and so everybody could hear that she was okay. And I think that yes. was an amazing thing. Yes. Well, I'm telling you, you talk about renewed vigor <laughs> to, to mm -hmm. just keep searching. It, you don't, you don't get tired in a thing like that. It's pretty crazy. Um, oh yeah. You're motivated. And, 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 and we are at a loss. We have no earthly idea what's going on with Katie. Um, it's a super, super personal thing for me. Uh, the very, very first recruit I ever trained died in the line of duty. Um, his name is Jeffrey Rominger, amazing man. And he was, he lost his life in a, in a vehicle pursuit. Um, so I, you know, there's that loss. I had, I had a classmate that was killed in the line of duty. Um, and there, you, you go into that profession with the understanding that that can happen. Um, so we are just a bundle of nerves out there searching through the darkness and uh, you, you don't have a clue what's going on at the hospital. And then for Katie to, to key up, um, that, that should be SOP for anybody that's that's that. injured in the line of duty. If, if they're good to go, even with injuries, if they're going to be okay, let everybody know that they're going to be okay. That was such a shot in the arm for everybody that was out there in the field that day. Um, I, I just can't tell you how emotional that, that is when, when it's somebody that's, that's family, you know, and I, I keep saying she's, she's my spare daughter. So, uh, claim you. <laughs> Um, and to add a little bit to Rob, I, I will say, you know, as he's telling you, I also had some other officers later down the road tell me that when I got loaded up into the IMSA truck, that I looked really pale and they honestly thought that I was going to lose my life that night and that they were never going to see me again. So as he just as he's saying that they, they said the same thing when they heard that radio traffic, it was one of the best things they could have heard. Awesome. Now, let's put a put a bow on this. Tell us about your recovery. Now, your running career after being <laughs> shot twice in the leg and once in the calf. Tell us about that. Okay, so spent three days in the hospital. Um, and after that, I think we talked about it maybe on the other one. There were several visitors, so they wanted to kick me out of the hospital. They were getting overran and overloaded. So I had to um, go live with my mom. I lived on my own, but I had to go live with my mom so she could take care of me because I couldn't walk or get What around. was worse, getting shot or going back home? 
Oh, goodness. Ty, yeah, okay. You know, a yeah, little bit because I was one of those people, once I moved out, I'm not going back. <laughs> so, but no, my mom was good to me. She she took care of me. My grandparents come down. Um, I had to have home health care come out every day, clean wounds um, and treat them just so they didn't get infected. And it took me a while, about a month to get back up on my feet to where I could walk again. And still that was with a walker. But um made a full recovery. Uh, it took a while. It took four months being off totally kind of recovering. And then I was able to go back light duty after four months. And then after six months total of being off the streets, I went back to patrol. So able to physically capably recover from everything. I do still have shrapnel and metal lodged in my body in all different kind of areas. A couple of those I can feel they're kind of making their way to the surface. Uh, doctors told me I could be 60 and still have metal coming out of my body. But uh, other than that, just the kind of like I explained earlier, kind of one side gets tired faster than the rest and then the metal in my body. Um, I feel pretty good. I, I'm doing good. <laughs> but you've actually been able to run marathons since this. Ran marathons. Never ran one before, but it's always been on my bucket list. So after this, uh, I decided to get on that bucket list. Uh, <laughs> Check off things a little faster. Tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> so. Um, got on that bucket list and I've ran three marathons. Now I am not the fastest, so I'm not going to brag about a time. Well, you're the fastest with, uh, with two Forrest Gumps and a calf shot. There you go. <laughs> oh, congratulations. So, got some marathons under my belt. Thank you. Katie, you got any takeaways for, for us? You know, um, the biggest thing is, and this is something I tell the recruits as well, uh, the, I tell this and when I go to speak around the nation, one, I'm very thankful to God for saving my life that night. I have to give him the credit every time mm -hmm. because without the Lord, I wouldn't be here. The other is to spend time with your friends and family. Make sure they know you love them. Tell them you love them because we are not promised tomorrow and we never know when our last day is going to be. So that's very important to me is just making sure those loved ones know that you love them. And then the last that I just touched on is just learn to be mentally tough. You can survive things. We're all going to face adversity in life. But as long as you're mentally tough and you know that you can make it through it, if you've made it through it here, I think you can make it through it in real life. And, and just the resilience part of it. We're going to get knocked down. Again, we're going to face adversity, whether it be in our professional life or personal life. But look at that adversity as a chance to overcome. Don't let, look at it as a setback. And don't let it change who you are. Um, keep who you are in your heart and keep on moving forward. Can't say it any better. Pretty good. How about you, Phil? How can I top on that? I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> okay. I, I cannot thank you enough for, for sticking with us today. Um, I, I absolutely love you, little lady. You are so special to me. So. I love you too. And it's, yeah, it's my honor to be here. Yeah. Um, again, thank you all for tuning in again. Um, we appreciate all of our members out there. Um, as always, you are more than welcome to give me your questions, comments, suggestions, critiques. <laughs> That's for me. <laughs> you can feed those over to me too. So, <laughs> and, um, and you I'll can take send them directly to me at, uh, rob at ccwsafe.com. So we thank you all and tune back in next time. See you. God bless.